Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Here at The Guardian, we love podcasts. Not only do we make dozens of award winners ourselves, but we also write about our favourite podcasts from around the world too. Every week, our column Here, Here, that's here as in hearing and here as in where, comes out filled with recommendations from you, our listeners. We sift through them all to find the hidden gems that the podcasting world has to offer. These podcasts are often small yet mighty productions, which you probably wouldn't find highlighted on your usual podcatchers. So, if you're looking for your next podcast or have one that you want to share with the world, sign up for our weekly Hear Hear newsletter at theguardian.com forward slash podmail and send us an email at podcasts at theguardian.com. The Guardian. Hello, this is Brexit Means, The Guardian's weekly look at all things Brexit. This week, we begin an occasional series looking at how some of the EU27 nations view Brexit. What they think of Britain's decision to leave the EU, which factors influence their position, whether their interests might affect in any way the upcoming talks on the future trading relationship between Britain and the bloc, and maybe help or hinder the UK to a more favourable, even perhaps a bespoke, deal. We begin with Poland, which Britain has long seen as potentially a very useful strategic ally in the negotiations, for several reasons. It's concerned to keep the UK involved in European security, the developing trading ties between the two countries, a long-held shared interest in cutting EU red tape and holding out against protectionist and integrationist tendencies inside the bloc, Britain certainly sees the relationship as important. When Theresa May visited Warsaw recently, she was accompanied by no fewer than five senior cabinet ministers. A sure sign. But Poland, which is the largest net recipient of EU funds, also has Brexit concerns of its own. And as often said, in fact, it would far prefer that the UK didn't leave at all. It's concerned by the gaping hole in the EU budget that would be left by the UK's departure, by the fate of the large Polish community in the UK, by the fact that its ruling Law and Justice Party will find itself without its main partner in the European Parliament once Britain's Conservative MEPs leave. And, of course, there's its own standing in Brussels, which isn't exactly at its peak 
weakened as it is by an unprecedented standoff with the Commission over the rule of law. So, with me to discuss this delicate balancing act are three experts. We like experts on this show. Jakub Krupa, who is the UK correspondent of the Polish Press Agency, an active member of the Polish community in the UK, and uh, a second-time guest on <laughs> Brexit Means. Welcome back, Jakub. Agata Gostinska-Jakubowska of the respected think tank, the Centre for European Reform, and in Brussels, The Guardian's own Brussels correspondent, Jennifer Rankin. Welcome to all of you. Um, let's start with the issue that was foremost in many people's minds, I suppose, for better or for worse, in the run-up to the referendum, uh, which is the more than one million Polish citizens living and working in the UK, by far the largest number of any EU member state. Jakub, um, I'm interested to know how significant this is now, in that the Article 50 talks are theoretically behind us, aren't they? The EU has declared sufficient progress on those key divorce questions, which included citizens' rights. As far as you know, is Poland satisfied with what was agreed do you think? Is, it, is this an issue that kind of could come back to bite us as the talks move so, forward? So in one line, I think Poland is indeed quite happy with the outcome of the negotiations. Obviously, the question is that we still don't know if that's what was agreed in December. If, is that the final thing? We now know in the reports that there's a talk about perhaps extending what is called the specified date, mm-hmm. which is the future date at which you, uh, you, basically UK will be able to change its immigration rules, no longer welcoming people from European Union. For Poland, that's one of the key issues, obviously. At the moment, as things stands, as, as was agreed in December, uh, Polish people can keep coming to the UK up until the Brexit date, which will be 29th of March 2019. Mm-hmm. After that, freedom of movement will no longer apply. The EU now expects that to go longer up until the end of 2020, the end of the transitional period. So there'll be obviously discussion on the Polish side here because we, with such a big movement of Polish nationals into mm-hmm. the UK and out of the UK, that will be a key thing. But the deal agreed in December in principle is, is very good for Poland and I think the Polish government has declared it as its success. One of the key questions there is obviously how it will look in practice. Uh, so that's the big hanging question now. We know about the sales say this idea. Um, it's not perfect. We know there are some, some problems with it in terms of losing rights that the Polish nationals in the UK currently have mm-hmm. uh, about the costs around it. But the big question is how it will be executed. And last year, the British government organised three events in London, Birmingham and Edinburgh, meeting with Polish community, listening to what they have to say about how it should be governed, how it should work. The question is to what extent they listened. Right. Okay. And well, as you say, how what it will look like in in practice, and who will in fact oversee it, and it all has to be written into into law, doesn't it, over the next few months, which might well prove well prove tricky. Agata, um, so the the potential problems in the implementation, then. So I think what what we already know is a kind of a framework agreement on the way the rights of the EU citizens living in the UK will be protected. Mm -hmm. What we still have to agree on, what the UK and the EU have to agree agree on, is how um, those provisions will be applied uh, on both sides of the channels, actually, and how they will be implemented. Uh, From the EU side, it will be the European Commission, Mm -hmm. but we don't know much about the UK's plan And what we've heard so far is that the British government wants to create an independent national authority, but we haven't heard much about what role 
it would uh, it would perform. And I think this is going to be subject to the negotiations between Barnier's team and also David Davis in the in the following months. Right. Yeah. Jakub. You know, it's quite clear, I think, isn't it, from the from the Home Office statistics that um, quite a, a considerable number of Polish nationals are, are heading home, essentially have been heading home since the, the Brexit vote. How how will that play into the, the Polish government's position, do you think? I mean, do they actually see Brexit? Does Poland actually see Brexit as an, in that sense, almost as an opportunity? I mean, definitely Polish prime ministers, both the previous one, Beata Szydło and the current one, Mateusz Morawiecki, um, said openly that they're hopeful that a lot of people will be coming back from the UK to Poland as a result of Brexit. Now, the key thing when I speak to the members of Polish communities is that they say, you know what, all the political negotiations, that's one thing. We'll be able to make our decisions the moment we see how to apply for the thing and whether it's easy to get it. Mm. If it's not, then we'll be heading somewhere, perhaps Poland, perhaps somewhere else. If it's not... Quite a few to Germany, I understand. Quite a few to, to Germany or to Belgium as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a traditional place where Polish community would go. But that that's the key thing. They, they're waiting for the practical level of it. Mm. And But I think the uh, Polish Prime Minister, Mateusz Morawiecki, he openly said something about at least tens of thousands of people coming back. The interesting thing, though, is that when you look at the figures, at the end of 2016, so in the six months after the referendum, the number of Polish people in the UK has gone up, not down. Hmm. Uh, so there's a question, obviously, whether what's happening, because there are some theories by academics that are looking into it, that there's a there's an exchange of migrants happening at the moment. So a lot of people who have established families in the UK or have young kids, they're mm-hmm. heading back to Poland. But there's another group of people coming to the UK. So low, lower skilled workers who's treated as a last chance to get to in. get in before uh, the so, so there's, there's, the there's a big dynamics yeah. here. Yeah. It's, obviously, we'll see in a couple of months. Time. How interesting, Jennifer, from the from the Brussels perspective uh, perspective is you know are, are there still potential hiccups in um, in the citizens' rights deal specifically? I think we're back to our favourite Brussels phrase that nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. (laughs) And that phrase has been doing the rounds quite a lot and even more so lately. And picking up on on Jakob's point, I I think it's very interesting that this issue of what happens to citizens' rights in the transition has just recently emerged. And this is being pushed by the Polish government that they want to make sure that any of their nationals that are coming to the UK after uh, the 29th of March 2019, but during the transition can still continue to benefit from rights in the UK from free movement of people and won't be subject to the to this to new immigration laws. Mm. And now this issue has emerged. It really seems like something that was there in plain sight all along. It really matches the logic of the EU's approach to the transition, which is that everything has to stay the same. And then there's a second issue as well that's worth bearing in mind that the European Parliament continues to be very worried about the the Home Office and and really sees the British government as not up to the task of, of, of registering people. And they really want to put the onus on the government to ensure that people get this special status rather than putting the onus on individuals to apply for it. So it's worth bearing that in mind as the European Parliament, as we know, has a veto on the whole withdrawal deal. And I think they will they will work to try and lever their influence to 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 get this uh, issue on the agenda again. So yes, we we had a deal in December, but there's still more to play for. Right. And Agatha, this is something that you think the Polish government is keeping a 
very close eye on. Absolutely. I think um, it has been uh, the government's priority to make sure that the rights of around one million Poles living here uh, are legally secured. And that's something that um, it has been stressing for quite a while. So I assume that as the negotiations, um, as both sides are gearing up for the negotiations on the transition, it is indeed something uh, that uh, the Polish government will be raising. But I think um, it might War, it might be worth making uh, a point that, of course, it is in the Polish government's interest that more and more people or young people consider coming back home. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't risk uh, an assumption that actually uh, Brexit is kind of playing into its, its hand because uh, we should probably draw a very thick line between saying, yes, the government has been encouraging young people to come back by creating, you know, some would say uh, that it has created um, a kind of, you know, social and economic incentives. And another, and another thing is to say that the government should make sure that the rights of, of, of the Polish citizens are secured. Right. And what's in, in it for the Polish government? I spoke with a very senior Polish minister who once said there's one thing about protecting rights of Polish nationals and that's right in itself. But we have to remember that Poland will have elections in 2018, 2019, 2020. And as, as that minister said, for every one poll in the UK, and there are a million of them, we have seven, eight, nine votes in Poland of the family members. So it's worth keeping in mind that that's also part of the, stru- right, not part of of the equation. It's a, it's a political question as well. Yes. Okay, um, now let's look at the, 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 the strength of the, of the UK-Polish relationship. Now, you know, clearly there's, there's a big historical tie there uh, and links going back, um, you know, many decades or longer. Um, and this is something that Britain does seem to want to, to, to be playing on in the Brexit talks. Agatha, the, the, the kind of putative trade-off, as much as you can, you can sort of say that, appears to be um, that Britain expects Poland to back its desire for, you know, a closer, a much closer, softer relationship and possibly even a bespoke trading arrangement, maybe even including services, which which the Commission has, uh, or the EU27 have, have pretty much ruled out um, up until uh, up until now in exchange um, for, you know, a, a, a very strong agreement and, and cooperation on defence. Um, could, could you just say a little bit for people who aren't that familiar with Poland's defence concerns? What what exactly is are Poland's worries and, and, and what is Poland looking for out of a, a defence agreement with Britain, which, of, of course, there were, you know, there, there, there were signatures in uh, signatures very recently on, on, on you know, the, the cabinet visit to to Warsaw. What does Poland want? What does it hope to get? So I think that it's it's worth coming back to what you said that indeed uh, both countries have enjoyed strong historical ties. Um, but Britain has been also one of those um member states which strongly supported both Poland's membership in the EU but also Poland's NATO membership and um, uh, uh, the UK has been also Poland's ally in kind of pushing for uh, sanctions um, against Russia um, uh, after it um, uh, annexated Crimea. Mm -hmm. Um, So Poland might worry that after Brexit it will find find it more difficult to push for its um, defence 
a defense uh, interest. Um, but I'm not sure whether we can go as far as saying that there is this clear trade-off. I think uh, what both the EU negotiators and also the EU27 have been stressing really, there is no way we can exactly. we can yeah. uh, we can conduct those uh, those trade-offs mainly because the EU security or the security of 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 EU's uh, neighborhood is um, of interest to both the UK um, and and the EU, regardless now, of EU membership. Uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But uh, you know, I think it would be naive to think that um, that basically uh, none of those negotiations are taking place <laughs> behind the closed uh, the closed doors. Counts for something. Though uh, d- d- yes, I mean uh, one of the points uh, which was raised also during the referendum campaign was that you know Britain has committed to increase its or basically con- it has committed to, to to its increased contribution to strengthening an eastern flank of NATO. Yes, but it's a NATO commitment. So mm. I think we shouldn't be mixing it up with the kind of uh, commitments the UK has, which arise uh, which arise from its membership in the EU. Right. Jakob, uh, as far as you're concerned, is, is Britain likely to deliver on, on, on what Poland would like? I believe so. So we've seen a very sort of close relationship um, dating back to almost immediately after the referendum mm-hmm. uh, when the UK said uh, that they'll be sending troops to Poland. Now we have 150 UK troops on, on the ground in Poland, further 800 in Estonia. Um, and I think that's a signal of that commitment. Obviously, it's symbolic, but it, it, it tells a lot. And the treaty signed in December in Warsaw, it will replace an old agreement signed in 1985, which was very general about pretty much, you know, very, very unspecific. The new one is about joint exercises, but interestingly as well about joint procurement. Uh, Poland mm. and the UK will be looking into how they can buy um, things for the for army together. Uh, but I'm picking up on what Agatha said about Russia. I think that's that's the key point in in this in this relations between Poland and the UK in terms of defense apart from a sort of obvious military threat from Russia which Poland is very much afraid of there's a second thing about Russian propaganda and Russian activity mm. to destabilize countries in the Baltics and I think in that sense what the Prime Minister Theresa May committed in um, in Poland to which is five million pounds spending on the anti-Russian propaganda activities in Poland and that includes and that's really interesting um, money for Polish run TV uh, in Belarus called Belsat, uh, which will be working together with BBC uh, to increase activity to provide people hmm. with real news in Belarus. So I think that's clearly a, sort of a new way of co- working together between the UK and right. Poland and very but important one. That's interesting, isn't it? Je- I mean, Jennifer, there's clearly more than just goodwill there. There are kind of concrete gestures uh, on on Britain's part. But, but it, it, you know, as, as Agatha touched on, it's not really legitimate exchange, is it? But I mean, the EU have been pretty clear that defence should really not be part of the of the trade equation. No, and the, well, the problem was that Theresa May put this idea in everybody's heads herself by making the link in her Lancaster mm. House speech almost a year ago when she said, or made this rather veiled threat that the UK could be less cooperative on uh, on defence and foreign policy if it didn't get a good trade deal. And subsequently, we've seen that the government rowing back on that and that we haven't really seen a repeat of that language and we've seen much more, much more positive um Moves such as the the, the money for for Belsat TV mm-hmm. that um, that Jakob um, referred to, but I think that you know that sort of hidden threat is still is still there in people's minds, and 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 I think it did prove to be unsettling for some countries, for countries in the Baltic, Estonia, for example, where there are also British troops 
on the ground as a result of the NATO agreement. I think there was a, real, a sort of feeling of offence at linking um, the defence relationship and the trade relationship, and these things are seen, are seen as completely separate and that they shouldn't be mixed. And that's been very much the EU position as well. So I think it will go down very badly if the UK tries to make that link again. And even if it does succeed in putting the case to it to one or even two countries, that's not going to help it in the long run in getting a deal from the whole EU and all 27. Mm. That's interesting. Agatha, you wanted to come yeah, in briefly. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I just wanted to touch upon on what Jennifer has said. I think in the context of the negotiations on transition, it will be also one of the priorities for the British government to make sure that actually there is or there will be a cooperation around the common foreign and security uh, uh, policy as it stands. If you look into the um, Commission's uh, uh, draft um, uh, directives, there is no reference to what happens actually with the cooperation on foreign policy and, and, mm. and security issues in, in the transition period. So that's, the, the, I guess, that will be one of the priorities for the uh, P- Polish government. And of course, uh, it seems to me it will also try, Warsaw will try to plug Britain into the foreign policy and security issues post-Brexit. Yeah. Now, of course, it will be quite difficult to develop a model which would suit both the E27 and the UK. But I assume that Poland will be pushing strongly for some kind of a, uh, a, a kind of, you know, a arrangement. On so those in, in that sense, at least Poland will act almost as a sponsor uh, after uh, after <laughs> Brexit. Is that the idea? Yeah. Definitely as a spokesperson. OK. I right. well, I remember talking about um, you know, the trade of the defence mm. trade trade of. Uh, I remember talking to a senior Brexiteer backbencher in the Tory party who said, uh, you know what, obviously we cannot link defence and trade, obviously we cannot be doing this, but he said, I can very well see a situation where after Brexit goes terribly badly at the end of this whole process, we may want to reconsider whether we have troops in Poland, Estonia and other countries. (laughs) Absolutely unrelated, but somehow he mentioned that the same thing. Excellent. Well, let's let's move on. yeah, it struck me um, during this this visit to Warsaw, the the, the cabinet visit to Warsaw, um, that the, the the prime minister made a the Polish prime minister made made quite a big deal of trading ties between Poland and the UK. Um, Jakub, I mean, you know, it's 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 clear, obviously, that that this is where Britain hopes that the EU 27's unity will start to crumble because national interests um, will will start to play a role. Um, and, and different countries might want different things out of this future trading relationship with Britain after after Brexit. What now? Could you just explain briefly what you know? What what are those trading ties between Poland and the UK? Where particularly might Poland lose out more than other countries or gain more than other countries from a, whatever kind of deal we end up with? So obviously we've heard from Brexit a lot about German car manufacturers mm. and people who you know, defend trade relationships. In, in, in Poland's case, it's actually true. So the UK is Poland's second largest trade partner mm. uh, with £17 billion a year. And that's uh, growing in a very, very very, very steeply outside. And obviously, part of that is because of the Polish community in the UK. So we have all the services around that, whether that's Polish groceries coming to the UK, to, to Polish shops that we right. know all see in, yes. on the streets of the UK, yeah. whether that's, you know, fintech companies, like one of the biggest fintech company now operating in the UK is a Polish company, which is basically helping people to 
uh, to move money between mm. Poland and the UK. So, mm-hmm. so it, it's it's quite true that if there's a country that will lose a lot if if there's no bespoke deal on, right. on trade, that is Poland. I think I remember seeing statistics saying that uh, Poland will be the fifth or the sixth uh, most hit country if there's no hmm. very very good deal on this. And that's particularly connected to, as I said, agriculture, but also manufacturing, where loads of uh, Polish companies work for UK companies in terms of manufacturing. And that includes, for example, Royce Royces, when they produce engines for aircraft, that's happening in Poland. Right. That's interesting. Um, Agatha, so yes, the Polish government has repeatedly said it, it's going to aim to push for a, you know a, this kind of softer, closer, more, more cooperative trade deal. Um, from your perspective, are, there, are those just words? Or are, is Poland really prepared to sort of go out on a limb and, and try and push to make that happen? I think it's difficult to say. Uh, for the moment, we don't have any official British position on what kind of a relationship it would like to have with the EU in the future. I think that for the reasons that uh, Jakub mentioned, uh, Poland would like to keep Britain as close as possible to the EU single market. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is uh, the British government excluded um, such an option, exclu- excluded um, remaining in the EU single market or in the customs, customs union. union. Yeah. Um, so it might be difficult uh, for Poland, which indeed um, uh, has enjoyed strong economic ties. Having said this, I mean, I think Jennifer um, uh, has probably much more to say about this, but there are now rumors that the British government might actually go for a certain regulatory alignment option, uh, so to say. Uh, and of course, there are already some member states which have been quite Style to an idea of having a regulatory alignment with the UK mm-hmm. post-Brexit. And it seems to me that Poland might be one of those EU capitals um, which might be more receptive uh, to those ideas. But of course, much will depend on the details of the, uh, of the offer because at the end of the day, it's also in Poland's interest that the single market is not undermined. Of course, that's the thing that we very often tend to forget on this island is that the solidarity of the of the single market is is paramount for 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 so many countries Jennifer would you like to come back on this question of regulatory alignment briefly but but also on the sort of the broader question I guess speaking from Brussels to what extent is it possible for any EU 27 member realistically to hope to kind of influence the position of the bloc at this stage mm. well on, on the specific issue of regulatory alignment I think it is worth remembering that we're still at a stage where we haven't actually seen yet the negotiation within the EU 27 as to what the position will be on the, the future relationship. And and that will really be worked out in the coming weeks so EU leaders can sign it off in March. So I think the, the debates are still to play out. And I can imagine that, that many countries actually, if not all, will be quite happy for the UK to, to go for a very close relationship with the EU along some kind of Norway model where it would be fully aligned. But of course, that's sort of easy to say that in, in practice and you, and you need to see the details on what mm. it looks like on, on paper. But when it comes down to, to how particular countries can influence the EU, I mean, the, the answer does um, really depend on the country is the, the rather sort of banal uh, response. I mean, if you're Malta with a population yes. of, say, 435,000 people, which is 
slightly smaller than the population of Bristol, then obviously you're going to have less clout than, than Germany with its 80 million people. Mm, mm, and we have seen that France and Germany have been very much in the driving seat of the Brexit negotiations so far, pushing for an especially tough line on the, the divorce bill, among other things. But that said, it's not quite as simple as big countries decide and small countries uh, sign up to what has been agreed. Because I think the, the, the EU institutions are very conscious and careful of wanting to preserve unity, of not wanting the big countries to be riding roughshod over smaller countries. And in, indeed, the big countries themselves would be wary of doing that. So I think when when countries are making arguments for their own special interests, they, they will try and couch that in such a way that it's presented as the interest of all of Europe, because that will be their strategy for trying to get their interest, whether it's a particular industry or, or a group of people taken into account. So it will be sort of all to play for over the next few weeks, and we'll have to see how, how it unfolds and, and whether this sort of very sort of fabled EU unity, which really has held together until mm. now, how, mm. how far that mm. continues mm. To, to be strong. Mm. I mean, so far, e- EU leaders are all saying we're, they're, they're confident it will, it will last, but um, that's a, a question we'll have to, to wait and, and see before we know the answer. Yeah, I, I would argue uh, most probably that it's, it's actually in the UK's interest that the EU are more or less united also on the second phase of the negotiations mm. uh, because the UK would like to strike a deal quite quickly. And the more the EU kind of, you know, tries to um, uh, uh, to find a common uh, uh, or the lowest common denominator, mm. the more difficult it will be for <laughs> the UK to press on with uh, negotiating uh, the future relationship. So this entire idea of you know, uh, approaching this kind of divide and rule uh, method in the negotiations, I think is very flawed. Yeah, yeah, that's a f- very fair point. I, I want to touch briefly on one thing because, it, but it's it's interesting, but it's not particularly uh, maybe uh, uh, relevant to the to, to the talks and, and to Brexit. But Jacob it, it, and and Jennifer also, I'd be interested in your view on this. It is the case, isn't it, that the you. The British Conservative Party are the major partners of uh, uh, um, law and justice. That the, the ruling Poland's ruling party in the European Parliament, um, regardless of the whole sort of Article Seven stuff, which we'll come on to in, in a second. Um, Jakob, how significant is that for Poland within the European Parliament, within the EU as a whole, that it might find itself? Well, it will presumably find itself without it, it, its main ally. Obviously, it's very significant. Up until now, the ECR, the grouping that Polish peace sits in together with the Conservatives, relied basically on the membership of the Conservatives and the Czech parties as well as sort of exist. So now there'll be a fundamental question about how to exist once ECR mm. is is left without the Conservatives. But also, there's obviously a second part about what's the vision of the EU uh, the Polish ruling party has, and that's obviously a different vision from the uh, EPP, that is the main grouping of the European Parliament, um, that much more conservative, much more stiff Union of Nations rather mm. than the United States of Europe. And obviously they'll be uh, struggling to find more allies um, which would share that sort of position in the European Parliament in next months and years to come. So I think that's going to be a very significant problem and e- or issue for the Polish representation by the ruling party to the uh, European Parliament. And I think they'll be looking hard to find someone who can replace them. Right. Yes, Jennifer, do you, how do you think that might play out? Yes, I mean, I would I would second that. But it's, it's worth remembering as well that 
that there will be have to be a realignment in the European Parliament of the Eurosceptic forces mm. because it's not only the ECR, the Conservative group, that is going to change radically. It's also going to be the the other Eurosceptic mm. group, the Nigel Farage-dominated group, uh, the EFDD, the the Europe of of uh, freedom and direct democracy. Because when UKIP leave that group, that will also lose about half its members. So you could see emerging another kind of Eurosceptic force that will maybe take take into taking law and justice and some of the other Euro, non-British Eurosceptics. But I said, these, these groups are always rather hard to draw together. And, and can we see law and justice joining forces with the five-star movement in Italy who are currently on the, the Farage mm. coalition partners? So, so there are all sorts of difficult questions there and w- which we won't know the answer to until after the election. Uh, exactly. And, and it's worth noting it's not the only group that will be affected either, is it? In Because also on the left, um, you know, once, once, once Labour MEPs leave and with the decline of sort of social democratic parties across Europe, there's going to be quite a, a restructuring going on there as well. All right. Um, a, a, a very important question, uh, I think, for, for Poland quite clearly, as I mentioned, it, Poland is the largest net recipient of EU funds, um, if I'm correct, um, nearly 230 billion euros up to 2021, which is a huge sum. Um, Agata, that's clearly a, a major concern for, for, for Warsaw. From, from Brexit? Well, I would say it's one of concerns because it's uh, as important as the rights of the EU mm. citizens. But I think the EU 27 uh, speaks with one voice on this. Um, uh, and indeed, um, uh, after Brexit, um, the sort of MFF, so multi-annual financial framework, mm-hmm. will be affected. Uh, but fortunately enough, um, it seems to me that both the you know net recipients, but also net players, um, have had a common position on this. Have been uh, surprisingly united because it's um, in in their interest that the UK sort of fulfills its uh, uh, financial uh, commitments. Uh, what we know so far, but that's that's what we've seen in the. December agreement, but I fully agree with Jennifer that nothing is agreed until everything, everything is agreed. agreed. But for the moment, we know that the UK will honour its commitments arising from the uh, current multi-annual financial framework. But of course, the question is, what happens next? And we are now um, sort of uh, gearing up for um, uh, challenging negotiations, uh, which will officially start in May 2018, mm-hmm. when the European Commission uh, puts forward its proposals on the next multi-annual financial framework. And of course, uh, we will already notice there that um, uh, Brexit will definitely have an impact impact Mm. on uh, on this. But I think it is definitely worth saying that the financial commitments, this issue will keep on dragging on with us for the next month or so. uh, Because I think more and more member states actually admit that a transition will have to last longer than till the the end of the current multi-annual financial framework. Mm. And if we assume that this is the case, uh, I I think we will argue that the UK would have to pay more. Now, the question is how it would be paying. I think that the British government would be ready to accept some sort of payments, which it could claim that these are either few EU funds or a sort of uh, a four member states. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a discussion that we will probably uh, uh, face uh, in the next couple of months. months. Yeah, Jakob. But there's an interesting point here about why Poland was so insisting on uh, the budget negotiations, why 
it was so important. Obviously, there's the whole discussion about budget commitments that go beyond 2020, the so-called Restalic without the role. And now Poland's absorption of EU funds in the last few years was quite low. It was uh, at some point, even two or three years ago, Poland was at the risk of being net uh, contributor to the mm. budget because of how slowly the, the, the spending was going. So there was, there was war in Poland that if UK doesn't have to uh, respect the commitments made that go beyond 2020 or the money that hasn't been uh, will not be spent before 2020 that could potentially hit Poland very strongly and one of the one of the investments that I've, I've heard Polish officials talking about was for example Warsaw Underground uh, so the underground system of railway mm-hmm. in Warsaw uh, the second line is now being built they said if the negotiations on the rest of the liquid go wrong we will be in troubles about that. So mm. there's a reason why Poland was so insisting about the fact that UK pays everything it, it's committed to. Right. Th- though it wasn't a hardliner on the budget, interestingly. I mm. thought I, I think it was Germany and France actually pushing strongly for Britain paying more and more yeah. and Poland actually taking quite a sensible sensible line. Jennifer, in, in, in Brussels, how's, how's Poland's position on the budget seen? Well, just to, I mean to pick up, I guess this point. I think mm. it's it's easy, it's easier um, to take a tough line when when you could be on the hook to to pay the extra money, and that was what France and Germany are really really worried about. Mm. And the, the working assumption now on the budget is that Brexit will cause a, a 13 billion a year black hole, and uh, that will need to be uh, need to be filled, and there will need to be a discussion over what the overall. Uh, budget is going to be. And of course, you have on the one hand, the EU institutions, the Commission, the Parliament that say, well, we have to be spending more on the priorities of the future, whether that's managing migration or research. But we also want to keep our spending on on farming and and structural funds, which are building all these sort of roads and infrastructure projects all over Europe. Mm. And on the other hand, you have the member states who would who divide into the the net payers who always want to keep a, a tighter lid on on spending versus those who are net recipients who who think the EU budget is great and and would like to to keep um, the spending flowing. Although some um, diplomats w- will acknowledge on on that side that they do actually expect the EU budget could will not be as generous as it was from 2014 to 2020, the mm. current financial period, and that the future uh, the future total will be smaller. And in the background to all that, we have the the argument simmering about the rule of law in some countries and whether whether that should be tied to the budget, which is just adding to the general sort of um, political toxicity of, of all of this as well, which is already uh, extremely fiendishly difficult. That, exactly. Well, that's exactly what I wanted to come on to, to kind of conclude, um, I suppose. Um, you know, Poland wants to portray itself as uh, uh, as Britain's friend in this process. Um, Britain is certainly very happy happy to be seen um, as a friend of Poland in in the process. But you know, it's a very delicate question, is, isn't isn't it? And, and Jennifer, you know, alluded to it there. Poland's weight and influence within the EU are you know are, are, are certainly damaged um, at the moment. Um, if, if I can just come back very briefly to you, Jennifer, for sort of for sort of just the basic the, the, the basic facts here, could you just explain briefly uh, the, this Article Seven process and and why it's been triggered? Well, Article Seven is 
is how the EU is responding to the problem of what to do when one member state is falling short of the basic democratic standards that all member states are are supposed to um, apply. And it arose in Poland really over changes that the the law and justice government made to the court system, which give government ministers much more control over the judiciary, whether it's um, on appointments or firings or retirement Mm. ages. And as such, um, the EU, but also the the Council of Europe, which is not part of the EU, has concluded that there is a real uh, threat to the rule of law here. So as such, it's uh, it's triggered this uh, process, which is known as the Article 7 procedure, which comes from the, the, the Lisbon Treaty. And it's, it's helpful to think of Article 7 falling into two parts. First of all, we have Article 7.1, which is the preventative part, and that is this idea of issuing a warning to Poland, a formal warning that it's a clear risk of a serious breach of the rule of law. And this, are any, this requires four-fifths of member states to agree that. Mm -hmm. So um, that would be 22 countries. And then the second part of Article 7 is the the sanction. And this is the so-called nuclear option, which which could lead to ultimately a country losing its voting rights in the Council of Ministers. But in order to get to that hurdle, you need um, all 27 member states, excluding Poland, to agree to that. And that's why given that Hungary has already said it's going to veto this, that's why most people think that's really off the table for now. But even Article 7.1, it's it would still be a major step. It's never been triggered against any country before until it was triggered at the end of last year by the European Commission. Right. And now we're going through the next process right. involving EU governments and we're waiting for them to, to reach their verdict, which is going to put the British government in a very well, tight exactly. spot. Well, uh, exactly, because Theresa May Jacob is going to have to tread a, a, a quite a careful line, isn't she, between seeking Poland's support in uh, uh, the Brexit talks, as we've uh, as we've been discussing, um, and the need, presumably, um, to speak up in 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 favour in support of the rule of law. Absolutely, yes. So we, obviously, a lot of people in Polish government remember that back last year when there was a vote about Donald Tusk being re-elected as the president of the European Council, mm. Poland expected the UK to vote with Poland on that against Tusk, and uh, and the UK did not vote against mm. uh, Tusk. Indeed, uh, supporting Tusk, and that that's why the declaration made the by Prime Minister May in Warsaw in December when I asked her explicitly about Article 7 during the press conference, she said, it's an internal matter for Poland, it's not something that I'm going to intervene in. And that was seen in Warsaw as a support for the Polish government, as a sign of support for the Polish government. Now, when we think about why the issue here, obviously, when you look at public opinion polls, there seems to be agreement about the fact that judiciary in Poland needs to be reformed. The question is how it needs to Mm -hmm. be reformed. And here, here is where Polish population is very much divided on. Interestingly enough, though, in the last few days, we've seen a public opinion poll uh, saying that uh, 34% of polls actually think that it is the Polish government who's right in this dispute, 32% the European Commission, and, and the mm. rest are sort of divi- so, so confused and so divided on that that they don't even have a clear stand. And I think that's really interesting because they'll be clearly seen as a sort of way of finding a way out of this whole situation. And by that appointment of the new prime minister, changes in, in ministerial positions in Poland, clearly the new so the biggest role for the new government is to go and negotiate with Brussels. That's why Prime Minister Morawiecki, the first thing he did after appointing his cabinet, he went to Brussels to meet with Juncker and Timmermans uh, this Sunday in a in a way that we only know from spy movies. Polish Foreign <laughs> Minister will be meeting with uh, Timmermans, uh, the, the Vice President of the European Commission, mm. at the airport, uh, because that's apparently the only place where they can meet together on Sunday. Uh, so we'll be talking about that as well. There's, there are clear signs from Poland that they want to have 
a meaningful conversation mm. and find a way out of this because we've, we've heard even from other countries, from from Bulgaria, that's holding the um, presidency in, in the European Council mm. at the moment, uh, saying that they they would rather not have a vote on mm. that, they'd rather avoid that situation mm. because it's it's seen as so mm. divisive. Uh, so that would be clearly a big task for the Polish government. Agata, the, the, the Polish government reshuffle, um, is that going to change relationships with, with the EU? And uh, uh, and just briefly, if you could, uh, uh, is this is this issue going to affect uh, Poland's influence on Brexit? I think that uh, Mateusz Morawiecki, who is now uh, uh, Poland's prime minister, will probably inject a more emollient style uh, to the Polish European um, uh, policy. Uh, but I think it is unlikely to change, or basically the government's reshuffle is unlikely um, to result in any breakthrough on the current dispute around the rule of law, um, mainly because the government will not back down. I mean, if you look into the public opinion polls, and Jakub has already alluded to it, um, after the government pushed uh, through the reforms, um, the public support for the uh, ruling party was actually didn't budge at all. Uh, that makes uh, the government, the ruling party, and predominantly uh, a peace chairman, who we all know pulls the strings in, in the government, mm. believe that he has a carte blanche uh, to uh, conduct uh, the reforms of the judiciary. But I think uh, there are other two points to be made here. One is that indeed that uh, puts the British government in a very difficult position, mm -hmm. mainly because it wants to maintain close ties with Poland. Mm -hmm. But I think it doesn't want to be seen uh, as a defender of a member state which is, or a government which is backtracking on the issue uh, of a rule of law. Values, but this yeah. is also a problem for other member states. Uh, as it stands, the Commission uh, has actually proposed that the Council, that is member states, mm -hmm. uh, look into this issue. Um, but that has actually given member states a huge headache. You know, if you look uh, um, which country is actually holding the presidency and which will decide whether a voting will take place, it is Bulgaria, no. which has its own issues yeah, uh, with the rule of law. So own. it will probably try to postpone uh, any voting, if at all, till later. And of course, this gives uh, the government some time to try to sway uh, six member states. Which either all to, it needs. Exactly. Yeah. Either to vote against, uh, um, sort of triggering or basically uh, determining that there is a serious threat. Mm -hmm. of a backtracking uh, on the rule of law or just abstaining. But even this, I think, will uh, will cost the Polish government a lot of political capital and probably some trade-offs. And I think this is something that the Polish government should keep for later because, as we already mentioned, there are going to be even more important uh, uh, negotiations going on, including on the next MFF. Of course, of course. All right, let's let's wrap up. I just want to ask you very briefly now because we're, we're running out of time uh, um, in one sentence, if you could, um, and we'll start with you, Jakub. Um, can Poland be the Brexit friend that Britain hopes it will be? And the question is, what do you mean by friend? But I think that the <laughs> Polish government has been very clear in saying that they want to be the bridge on which the UK goes to the other side. And, but keep that, but that, that bridge needs to be very strong and stable. OK, OK. <laughs> well, we've heard that one before, Agatha. 
I think the British government will indeed try to make sure that the UK is plugged to the EU uh, post-Brexit. But as it stands, I think the Polish government does not have a significant political clout because of the dispute uh, going on around the rule of law to actually uh, uh, kind of deliver influence, on, deliver on influence yeah. other mm. member states' mm. uh, position on this. Jennifer, is that where, where it stands from your perspective? I think in a word, no, because the British government expects so much of its friends. And I don't think any of any friends in, in Europe can deliver exactly what <laughs> the government wants on Brexit, which is which is really the, the fantastical have your cake and eat it. And I think this will end in, in disappointment, although Poland could certainly be a friendlier face than others around the table. OK, well, on that hopeful note, then that'll that'll be it for this week. Uh, my thanks to Agatha, to Jennifer and Jakub for joining me today. Please do subscribe and review on all your favourite podcatchers. Join the discussion on Twitter. You just need to search for Guardian Podcasts. If you want to get in touch with us, it's Brexit Podcast. That's all one word, Brexit podcast at theguardian.com Till next week then, I'm John Henley the producer was Rowan Slaney this was Brexit Means and thank you all very much for listening For more great podcasts from The Guardian just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.